Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. How does Bernie Custis High School in Hamilton not have a field tackling food insecurity in schools? We're joined by CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi. The single-use plastics ban is hitting restaurants. There's a basketball fiasco in Tilsonburg, and the Gore Park Summer Promenade is back. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. This is a really sobering story and it's happening here in Hamilton and I cannot believe that a high school named after the first ever black quarterback in pro football history does not have a field forget about a football field doesn't even have a field Bernie Custis High School in Hamilton the only public secondary school in this city without a field for its students so there are a couple of students who are going to join me in a second that have launched a petition in the hopes of changing that, and they've secured a few hundred signatures on this petition. Victoria Huxima and Phoenix Hughes are two students at Bernie Custis High School and join me now on Good Morning Hamilton. Victoria, Phoenix, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Uh, Victoria, we'll start with you. How did we get to this point? Um, so my brother is a football player, and I've always heard him complain about how there's no field, and everyone has been kind of complaining in our school for a very long time about not having a field. So finally, we decided to, you know, start something, which everyone right away got involved for. Phoenix, obviously this touched a nerve with you as well. Why did you get involved? Well, we were in um, a class and we were just talking about how, like, our students don't have the same opportunities as other schools do. And it really bothered me that our school, which holds, like, a population of quite low-income students, they should have a field and opportunities at school more than they do at home, and it really bothered me that we don't. Victoria, what kind of response did you get, and, and did you anticipate the response that you did receive? Um, I think that we thought that the students would be pretty um, like upbeat about it and that um, we expected mostly students to support. We didn't expect... Um, a lot of the teachers' responses, or at least I didn't personally, we did get a few teachers like kind of talking to us as if what we were doing wasn't going to make much of a difference, as in like making um, us feel like, oh, the field's already going to be redone, like why are you doing this type thing? Wow. I, yeah, I would say quite the opposite. I say good, good for you guys. I mean, this is a school that needs a field. It's the only public secondary school in the city that doesn't have one. Phoenix, what is it like, you know, having phys ed without your own field or just kind of hanging out in the field? It's definitely odd. Like, I've never gone to a school where in the summertime, like, you don't go outside to play, like, soccer or, like, silly games like um, catch the flag. Like, usually you would go outside for that, but we don't. And staying in a school all day, especially on really nice days like today, it feels weird that our students don't get to have the experience outside. Yeah, it feels I, I, very, like, kind of diminishing in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it kind of feels like you're in a prison, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> Victoria Huxima and Phoenix Hughes are guests on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Victoria and Phoenix are students at Bernie Custis High School that have uh, started up a petition that has uh, a couple hundred signatures on it to get a field installed at the high school. Victoria, back to you. Y- you you obviously got the attention of the school board. What have you heard from trustees? Um. So 
we sent out an email to the um, the principal and to the superintendent. Um, we got rescheduled a whole bunch of times, and we finally met with the principal who um, he definitely agreed with us, but I think it was kind of out of his hands. So he tried to deal with um, the in-school problem. So he was trying to figure out how we were able to schedule better at Tim Hortons Field. And they also weren't letting students watch games at Tim Hortons Field. Okay, so Phoenix, is there a go-forward plan? What are some of the next steps you hope to see? Um, Well, after our talk with the principal, there was um, a conversation about what they can physically do as just principals and vice principals in the school. So there was talk about them um, moving forward to try and um, get more security so that our students actually can watch the games. We were also um, talking about, like, getting more announcements held so that students actually know when games are going. But it's mainly focused on getting security for the um, Tim Hortons field so we actually can um, watch our games. And then we also talked about, as, like, a principal, obviously he can't do much when it comes to the field, but we talked about how he will be advocating for not only taking down the berms but also like getting our field turfed within the same step because they don't want to turf it that they being um the board don't want to turf it right away they just want to get the berms removed so he was going to advocate for that all right well we're taking some steps forward we're uh fighting the good fight we're behind you as well victoria phoenix thanks for the time today good luck with this we'll keep tabs on it Victoria Huxema and Phoenix Hughes, co-organizers of this petition at Bernie Custis High School to get a field installed, did receive a statement from the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board that says Bernie Custis students and staff have some access to the field in reference of Tim Hortons Field. During COVID, the city made the fields available for instructional day use in 2021-22. Issues arose with the field that required work to be completed in October. This took the field offline for some of our days of use. There's an agreement between the board and the city for use of the field for phys ed and special education classes and extracurricular time, but it includes no specific number of hours. Those change every year based on the needs of the primary tenants, which are the Ticats and Forge FC, as well as maintenance or other demands. We work with the city to request increased access to schools, including Prince of Wales and Bernie Custis Secondary School. I also did reach out to the Tiger Cats as well, and uh, they're obviously involved with this with Tim Hortons Field uh, for comment, but did not hear back from the Cats, and hopefully we will sometime soon. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The impact of food prices is having a detrimental effect on many individuals, many families in this country. Food insecurity, one of the big, probably most underrated topic going right now. I know we talk about housing affordability and mortgage rates and interest rates and inflation and, you know, recession looming. Food insecurity is right up there, along with healthcare and all the other stuff. I mean, it plays a part in that. And because of that, there is a growing call for the provincial government, for the Ford government to do something. And what that something is, is a bigger, better, more expansive free breakfast and lunch program for students across this province. Kirsten Beardsley is the CEO of Food Banks Canada and joins us now on GMH. Kirsten, good morning. How are you today? How are you? I'm good. So give us a a lowdown of what is happening in our schools and what you're seeing in food banks across this country. Right. So we're seeing um, 
as you said, food insecurity is sometimes a quiet problem in this country, but we're seeing at food banks the record level of food bank use. So we have never seen this many people rely on and turn to food banks ever before in Canadian history. And what's unfortunate, I mean, all, all of that's unfortunate, but what's heartbreaking is the number of children who rely on food banks. So over a third of food bank users across the country are children. Um, they represent about 20% of the population. So overrepresented in the numbers we see, which just speaks to how difficult it is for families to make ends meet. And that translates into schools, right? When kids don't have um, a healthy, nutritious breakfast, they're unable to go to school and learn what they need to learn. And that has ramifications for, for their futures and for our future. There are some amazing food uh, programs within schools right now. And, and here in Hamilton, I can speak to the Bulldogs Foundation, which for years has been feeding kids nutritiously and getting them energized and ready for the day. Uh, food for Kids, another one that comes to mind that does, uh, you know, heroic work in, in our school system. And and I know that the federal government had promised a national food program for students. Where are we with that? I believe that's moving through. I mean, it's just not moving through quick enough. The problem is that folks are relying on food banks now. We know too many people are um, food insecure now. We just got last year's food insecurity data federally. Another million, over a million more people are food insecure in this country. And so we need to make investments in the future of these children today and not wait for uh, a program to, to be developed. We need to take action now. Kirsten Beardsley is the CEO of Food Banks Canada and our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're talking about food insecurity, especially in schools where there is uh, quite obviously a big need for a free breakfast and lunch program for students across this province. A- any guesstimate on how much a program like this would cost? Yeah, there's no doubt it would be, you know, there would be an investment needed to make sure that this program is universal, universal, accessible and offered healthy food. Um, what's interesting to note is that Canada is the only G7 country without a school, a, a school meal program. And so other countries have assessed that the investment is worth it. Um, And I like to think of it as an investment. You know, we know that when kids um, go to school without a healthy breakfast or healthy meal at school, they're not able to learn. Um, We know there's health care ramifications. So think of the costs down the road of how that will impact our health care system, how that will impact the futures of these kids. I mean, we've got some big issues that we need to work on as a society, and these are kids We need these kids to learn. We need them to thrive. We need them to have the futures they deserve. And I always think of it, we're depriving ourselves of the future that we need. So yes, there will be costs, but it's an investment in our future as a province. 30% of food bank clients under the age of 18 right now, I'd imagine that this sort of program would take a lot of pressure off of food banks. Yeah, and it's not even about, you know, that. We're not trying to say that this is because we're food banks and we want to see fewer people through our doors. We're here to help whoever needs it. Um, And we need to see, this is one piece of the puzzle, um, a school meal program. We need to see affordable housing, as you mentioned. We need to see raises in um, disability and social assistance rates. So we need to see a lot of investments. But yes, families are under a lot of pressure right now. We're all feeling it, the the cost of housing, the cost of food, um, and incomes not keeping pace with those costs. And so, you know, if you're a parent, 
who doesn't know how you're going to give your kids three square meals a day with, um, and, you know, think of how much relief you would feel if you knew you could get at least one healthy meal for your child at school. I mean, the stress of that on a parent is, you know, it, it's it's incredible. And so, yes, we would we think that, you know, if you're giving kids the food that they need at school, obviously the pressure on that family is going to be reduced and potentially help them make their budgets work and potentially see fewer people at food banks. Um, but, yeah, it's I can't imagine um, what parents are going through right now. Got about uh, 45 seconds. You and a bunch of other groups have collaborated and, and mm-hmm. issued a letter to the Education Minister, Stephen Lecce, and the provincial government. Have you received any sort of response? Not, not to date. It was really led by the Toronto Youth Cabinet. They're, they're you know, directly invested in making sure that um, young people have what they need to thrive. Um, we're very hopeful. There's a lot of places... Um, that investments can be made to see a big benefit. So we're hopeful for ongoing dialogue with the government. And what we're hopeful right along with you. Kirsten, thanks for the time today. Best of luck with us. Thank you so much. Kirsten Beardsley is the CEO of Food Banks Canada. You can get more information online, foodbankscanada.ca, and yeah, uh, support a local food bank. Hamilton Food Share does uh, wondrous work in this community. Uh, check out their website and, and give so you can help many others in this community. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Are you ready for some football? He's made plays. Uh, we're looking for him to be consistently, and they got to be timely plays, but you know, every now and again you get a guy who who jumps out at you and he's had a couple of big catches so uh, again just looking for that consistency not just from him uh, he made a couple of great plays but from everybody I think the competition level is uh, extremely high out here. Ticats head coach Orlando Steinauer earlier on this week reflecting on the impressive start to training camp by rookie Justin McGriff one of the big receivers that Bo Levi Mitchell may be tossing the ball to this coming Saturday as the Ticats get set to open their preseason at Tim Hortons Field against the defending Grey Cup champion Toronto Argonauts. I I know it pains me to say that sentence, but I do have to say it at least throughout the 2022 CFL season. 2023 season, we're just a couple weeks away from it. And to get you hyped and excited for this campaign, here is the CFL's big boss man, Commissioner Randy Ambrosi, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Commissioner, good morning. How are you? Good morning. It's great to be with you. And as I hear you referred to as a mountain climber, uh, you know, I need some Sherpas. So no, I haven't summit, I haven't uh, claimed any summits yet. Okay, good. Well, let's let's get on that. <laughs> yes, I need to start training camp for climbing uh, climbing mountains. Talk about your memories of training camp. I know it was a few moons ago. What do you remember most about going to training camp? Well, you know, it's interesting because as I think about it, you have to be able to put it in two very distinct categories. Your first one as a rookie, which is just an, it's, it's virtually overwhelming. You know, the, first of all, just the fact that you're there, this kind of living on this moment that you've dreamt of for your whole life. And, and then the, uh, the re, really, the reality of just how fast the players are. That's the big thing that a rookie, um, uh, notices is that just the speed at which the players are capable of moving. And that's a game changer. But, uh, but boy, once you get into it and uh, and you start you start doing battle with some of these guys, Randy Troutman stands out for me in my rookie training camp. He had these dark, sullen eyes, and and you know you'd count, you'd be in line to do one on ones, you'd be counting, you'd go, oh my gosh, I'm going, I've got to go, uh, I've got to go up against Randy Troutman. <laughs> uh, 
but uh, you know what? Great, uh, great memories there. But then, as a veteran, of course, everything—the world slows down. You're, you know, you're much, you're much more confident in your, in your abilities. Cane uh, camp is uh, is kind of a coming together. You know, the brotherhood gets back to to, uh, you know, into the locker room, and all the stories come out. So, uh, two very different experiences, and uh, wouldn't wouldn't change them, wouldn't trade them in for anything. With any season, there are some uh, big. There, there's lots of excitement. Obviously, there's there are some big opportunities down the road. There are some challenges as well with each and every season. Well, let's talk about the opportunities. I mean, you have new ownership in Montreal. You got another exciting Grey Cup on the way here in Hamilton. You have a we're on the cusp of an uh, you know another season that who knows what is going to happen. Talk about the buzz in this country about CFL football. Well, I, look, I think that's the word buzz. Uh, we did have a very good off season, and uh, you know the introduction of uh, Pierre Carl Palado, as you mentioned, you know was uh, was a big, big moment for us. And uh, he is so he is so passionate about uh, what they're going to do in Montreal. And we've been talking to his uh, new team president, uh, Mark Waitman, and Mark's excited about uh, what they're doing in in, uh, in Montreal. So that's great. But right across the country, I've I've spoken to pretty much all the presidents. Over the last several days, uh, training camps are going well. They're excited, but I've been, you know, talking with fans as well, and I think there's a lot. We launched our our preseason live uh, last uh, last week at the Calgary game. Got a lot of very positive fan reaction to that. Uh, in fact, the the Ticats game this Saturday will have uh, will feature our preseason live, and fans can watch the game uh, online. We're excited about that. So just. Look, I think the league has really come together. So, so I'm so grateful for the support we're getting from the governors, and you know, uh, certainly the group in Hamilton, Bob Young, Scott Mitchell, have been tremendously supportive of the efforts that the league is making, and we're uh, we're all pulling together in the same direction. So, look, I think we're at the beginning of a great new season, as you said. Look, look at Hamilton with uh, with Bo Levi, and you open the show with that. Uh, you know, exciting. Uh, prospects for the really really strong lineup in the in Hamilton would culminate with a great cup in that great city so you know lots of lots of reasons to be excited about the 2023 season we have a couple more minutes with CFL commissioner Randy Ambrosi on good morning Hamilton on 900 CHL I, I would suggest and you could correct me if I'm wrong the biggest challenge to this league is the competition of other leagues the NFL has been around forever but we have the USFL we have the XFL we have eyeball staring at all these other things that are going around is that the number one big challenge well it is you know i think that's the the broader the broader theme is the one that uh, i think about a lot look we can just all access entertainment in so many different ways we can access entertainment from all around the world at our at our fingertips that means we need to be competitive you know i, I think one of the conversations we've been having and it's certainly not uh, not finished but one of the co- the conversations is about you know what? What are our biggest strengths, and how do we how do we play those strengths in the marketplace? And and the three words that keep coming up is fun, fast, and entertaining. And that's those are three qualities that our game has in abundance. And you know that I think we can go head to head with virtually any product in the world, and uh, and we can promote fun, fast, and entertaining as uh, as three reasons why a fan would watch us. And you know, it's one of the reasons why last year's rule changes were important. I think we saw some real, uh, real positive signs from those rule changes that they'll enhance the game. Uh, less, you know, less two and outs, more, more long drives, uh, more big plays. We got that wide side receiver now as a much bigger part of the game. So 
we've got work to do, but we have a great product. And I would say if I took those themes to the next level, I'd say I believe we're the funnest, fastest, most entertaining brand of gridiron football in the world. And, you know, one of the things I think we need is we need a little, we need some swagger. We we need to see and understand that what we've got here is special and we need to, uh, and we need to promote it that way. Well said, Commissioner. We'll have to leave it there. Appreciate your time and enjoy the uh, rest of the preseason and into the, into the regular season. And good luck to, uh, to all Ticat fans. It should be, it should be a great season. You got it. We're excited. Thanks, Randy. Thanks. Randy Ambrosi, Commissioner of the Canadian Football League. As we know, Grey Cup. Ian Hamilton, November 19th, training camp continuing. Big preseason game for the Ticats. They host the Argonauts this Saturday at Tim Hortons Field. Our pregame show on CHML begins at 3. Kickoff is at 4. Join us half an hour after the game as well for the start of the fifth quarter. Brought to you by Eastgate Ford. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I'm sure you have all heard about Canada's ban on single-use plastics by now. If you haven't, businesses are not going to be allowed to sell these single-use plastic items by the end of this year. And by the end of 2025, it's about a year and a half, these items won't be allowed to be manufactured or even sold for export. And, you know, imagine this, the restaurant industry and, and the takeout sector has been, and will be even more so down the road, impacted by this ban. Here to talk about it is Tracy McGregor, Vice President at Restaurants Canada, who joins us now on GMH. Tracy, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm good. What is Restaurants Canada official stance on this plastics ban? In terms of the plastic ban, I mean, it's here. So what we're doing is trying to help operators through it. Um, There's some challenges with that. I mean, the affordability, the availability of these alternatives, uh, the regulations that vary across federally, provincially and municipal. Uh, municipalities. So, it, you know, it's a challenge. It's hard to navigate um, and it's hard to access some of these items. And we're coming out of a pandemic that our industry hasn't recovered yet. So, you know, 53% of restaurants are operating at a loss or just breaking even. So anything that is impacting them in terms of cost, in terms of administration, reporting, all of these things that are coming down the line are just that's kind of where we are, is trying to help navigate that. It seems like a double whammy. We're fresh out of the pandemic and now, and I understand the reason behind it, we want to make our earth as healthy as possible and and banning some of these single-use plastics is the way to go, but the timing is not perfect for you. How are Canadian restaurants dealing with this right now? Well, most of them are just trying to get their heads around, you know, how is this going to affect them in terms of waste audits? Where are they going to access these products? They're 20 to 40% more right now. I know they'll be phased in over time, but that that cost pinch right now is really something they they can't manage. And, and the other pieces, they're not waste management experts. So all of the reporting and the types of plastic, I liken it to when I, you know, I'm standing in front of those three bins and trying to figure out what is this waste? Is this recyclable? <laughs> is this compostable? Um, and, you know, they're doing that, but in a huge magnitude and trying to figure out all of these new regulations and, and how they play in them. And some of our listeners might be thinking, and, and maybe rightfully so, you know, just just deal with it. You know, change your plastic cups, get those, uh, you know, compostable straws. But it's a, it's a little trickier than just saying, all right, we're going to do it. Yes. So, I mean, they want to go this direction. Consumers want to go this direction. So the market will go where consumers want as well. And many of our, uh, you know, quick serve restaurants and, and chains have been in this for a long time, Starbucks, you know, um, Tim Hortons, there's been a number of them that have been leading in this space. 
But for the average um, restaurants, it, it's not something that they they've been able to, you know, if they're trying to pay bills and keep staff, it, it's not something they've been able to spend a lot of time on. And there's a lot of regulations coming down, not just the single use plastics, um, producer responsibility for the waste management as well. So it's just really hard to um, access some of these products as well. And there's a testing phase, there's pilot phases, um, you know, you're carrying hot, hot soups, hot coffees. And, and uh, you know, if you can't, get something that holds that well, you're going to get com com complaints from consumers as well. Or lawsuits too. We've seen that uh, as well. Tr tr Tracy, <laughs> yeah, we <have. laughs> Tracy McGregor is the Vice President, Restaurants Canada, joining us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. I would imagine, you know, plastic is quite, um, uh, you know, accessible. You can mold it in a variety of different ways and doing so with a non-plastic item is going to cost probably a little bit more, especially if you have to get rid of these items. Is is do you imagine that cost being ultimately passed on to consumers? Well, that's the problem right now. Is there's been so many rising costs with restaurants. Food has gone up. You know, cooking oil's gone up forty percent. Uh, labor's gone up and is going up again in October. They there is only so much you can pass on to a consumer. I mean, there's there's a price you'll pay for a hamburger out. You know, and and that's the other piece is they haven't been rising their prices with the inflation that they've been seeing, and that's why we're at this you know standpoint where. 53% of them in Ontario are, are operating at a loss or, or um, you know, just breaking even. So these types of things will add more pressure on that. Some of that will have to go to the consumer, um, but they're very carefully treading that line. The other way, and we only got about 20 seconds, the other way I think restaurants and, and just the food sector in general is going to deal with this is, hey, we have all these reusable containers. You have to either buy these, well, obviously you would have to buy them and then reuse them yourself. I think that might be a way to, to get around this. But we'll have to have that discussion for another day, Tracy. We're out of time here. <laughs> Appreciate right. your time this morning. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Tracy McGregor, Vice President, Restaurants Canada. A lot of more information on this topic online at restaurantscanada.org. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I'll tell you one of my favorite pastimes as a kid, not a few, but one of them was playing street hockey getting out on the street with a bunch of my friends in the neighborhood and just passing the time away like, well, you wouldn't believe. It was just a a whole load of fun. Barrel of laughs. We got active. We got fresh air. We had a ball. And there has been over the years a lot of discussion, debate, controversy over street hockey or, or kids playing in the street. Which brings us to this very interesting story in Tilsonburg, where some residents who are living in a new subdivision have been ordered to move their basketball nets from the end of their driveways because it's in violation of the community's encroachment bylaw. Here to talk about it is one of those individuals, one of those residents who's been impacted by this. Shannon Steen is her name, and she joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Shannon, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Tell us what is going on on your street. Quite a bit, actually. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. So I've been here uh, about a year and a half. And the, one of the first things that I bought, I have four growing boys from the ages of seven to 13. I bought a basketball net like most parents do. My kids love to play outside. Even when they don't like playing outside, I kick them outside to play, to burn some energy. So the basketball net has been there for about a year. 
even when my boys are not here playing, I will often find other kids playing and using the net from sunup to sundown. It's never been an issue. A couple weeks ago, there was some paving being done on some of the last houses that were built in the subdivision. And a lot of the equipment was left out on the street. And as a result, a bus had to swerve around some equipment and clipped not mine, but somebody else's net and filed a complaint. Okay, because that net was kind of hanging over the curb into the roadway, right? Yes, and the only reason why these nets are hanging over the curb slightly is because that's the only space, if you push it back, it's covering the sidewalk. So if you sit it right between the sidewalk and the road, it the net, therefore, does go over onto the road slightly. So after the incident, the complaints, I guess, erupted. What, what happened after that? Actually, there was only one or two complaints okay. that were filed with the bylaw. Um, so I was home. I was uh, on a business call and I heard the doorbell ring. I think it was two or three times. I go and I answer the door and there was a bylaw officer from town of Tilsonburg there. And she said, you need to move your basketball net immediately. Almost looking at me like to move it right away. Um, and I have a massive boulder on my net so that it stays in place. And I said, okay, well, do we have another solution? She's like, nope, you need to move your net right away. And then off she went to the other neighbors. If somebody wasn't home, she left a little business card with a handwritten note. So no formal letter, no nothing, hmm. saying remove your nets. Okay, so have the nets been moved or removed? No. Okay. And the kids are still playing. <laughs> so why are you not moving the net? I think there could have been some other solutions offered. Um, at first, I thought, why doesn't why weren't we given the option to remove the nets during construction? Simple solution, because it's never been an issue before. But that was not given to us. It was just we need to completely remove the nets. And like you mentioned earlier on in your show, it is a new subdivision. So there's no parks out here. There's no schools out here. So there's nowhere safe for the kids to play. And as of right now, for the last year and a half, the kids have been playing safely on the street. And when a car comes, just like you and I, when we were growing up, you yell car mm -hmm. and everybody moves off to the side onto the sidewalk. It's really not that difficult. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Shannon Steen, Tilsonburg resident who's caught in an encroachment bylaw in that city after uh, not moving her basketball net from the end of her driveway. Um, have you been ticketed? Have other neighbors moved their nets? In this subdivision, there's about 10 basketball nets. No one has moved them. A couple people have kind of turned them to the side, um, but nobody has moved them from the end of the driveway. Like I said, I'm a realtor, so I was driving around yesterday for some showings, and there's basketball nets all over Tilsonburg at the end of the driveways. So I'm not sure why only this subdivision is being targeted, where older subdivisions, the basketball nets are still there. Okay, so so bylaw has not acted with any sort of penalty at this point? Not yet. Um, I was told, um, or they did tell CBC Radio that they were going to come out this week to the subdivision again, and they were considering time restrictions for when kids could play on the basketball nets. Wow. Yes. <laughs> that, that seems to be going a little far. That's what I think. Like I said, my net's always out there. My kids, maybe not at 7 a.m., but they will be playing till sundown. But even when my kids aren't there, I'd leave the net there 
because a lot of the other kids are often found playing there. I keep my basketball net on one of my chairs. The kids will come and use it or they'll bring their own. So putting a time restriction doesn't really help the situation at all especially after the last three years, what the world's gone through. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's a lot of points to this. We, yeah, we want our kids to be outside because, yeah, over the last couple of years, they've been huddled inside staring at their technology, which is what we don't want of them. Number two, I mean, these nets are, what, eight, ten feet in the air, at least the rim. So the odds yes. of hitting anything again are extremely remote. Well, and that's why I'm confused why it's gone the way it has and the response from the town of Tilsonburg too by just saying we need to move them. Uh, Mayor Deb Govese did say she was looking into um, this bylaw because it is quite old, the bylaw. However, that's going to take months. So with summer right around the corner, does that mean our children are not allowed to play at the end of the driveways? And a lot of the town, the people that have commented to me, they're like, where does this end? Are we allowed to play street hockey? Are we allowed to bike ride on the street? Are we allowed to use our scooters? Like, is this just basketball or where does this end? Uh, It's a great point. Uh, Shannon, keep fighting the good fight and uh, we'll certainly uh, pay attention to what is happening from here on in. Thanks for the time today. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. YouTube, Shannon Steen, Tilsonburg resident who is in a new subdivision, newish subdivision in Tilsonburg and has been ordered to move her basketball net, her and, and a bunch of other residents in the neighborhood from the end of their driveway because it is encroaching onto the street. At least the rim is 10, 12 feet high. What vehicle is going to hit that at this point? Yeah, I can understand if they're, you know, the construction is continuing and there's, you know, vehicles that are large in the area. I can see an issue, but at this point, not so much. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Back by popular demand, the Gore Park Summer Promenade returns to downtown Hamilton today with a new and exciting format. Uh, here to tell us about it is Emily Gilroth, the operations manager of the downtown Hamilton BIA. Emily, good morning and welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So you're back today. What is happening? Yeah, so the summer promenade starts today, as you mentioned, which we're very excited about. And so today, if you come out to Gore Park, there'll be some really incredible music that starts at 12. There'll be food trucks, vendors, a fun activation. It's going to be a lot of fun. Now, this event returned last year for the first time since the pandemic started. How did it go? Last year, it went really well, I would say. Um, I personally had the kind of interesting opportunity of working this as a summer student last year. So that was my first experience with the BIA. And so I was experiencing it for the first time. And I think it went really well. We had a lot of positive feedback about returning from COVID. People were very excited to gather again, to see live music, to kind of uh, come back to this event that they had experienced before. And this year we're kind of making it a bigger event Uh, We're extending the hours, so hopefully there'll be even more summer promenade for people to enjoy. So is that the the biggest newness this year, is that it's going to be until 6 p.m. every every Thursday? Yeah, absolutely. So we, uh, this year, we did change the format, so there'll be two bands and kind of an activation in between. So the first band will start at noon and play until 2 p.m. From 2 to 4 p.m., there will then be an activation, so that'll be a kind of fun workshop Uh, The library is going to be coming down and helping us with some craft sessions. Today, Path Employment will be coming down for a resume kind of Q&A. And then the final band will play from 4 to 6. And so that change, we are hoping to kind of get the 
office crowd coming down after work. We want people to stay down here for dinner as well as lunch and just uh, make it a one-day event, but that hopefully is more exciting and kind of there's more things to do. That's a pretty great plan. Emily Gilruth is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Emily is the operations manager, downtown Hamilton BIA. By the way, you can check out all the fun that's going to be had at uh, Gore Park Summer Promenade online at downtownhamilton.org. You mentioned Path Employment Services hosting a resume Q&A, and this is a pretty neat addition to the the Gore Park Summer Promenade because yeah you're going to have business people down there you're going to have other you're going to have a whole uh, a host of people down there this is a pretty interesting addition to what you guys are doing yeah absolutely we wanted to kind of um, share the businesses in the downtown core that kind of help make that area so great and then also just kind of within the format of the promenade give something give people something to pay attention to and interact with while those two sets change over. And so we're very lucky to have a variety of businesses coming down to the summer promenade, uh, whether that is in activations, as you mentioned, or as vendors, right? So that we have a lot of incredible businesses in the area that will be coming down. We also have artisans coming out that will be selling their products. And so that's very exciting for us. So many people put so much hard work into making the area so great. And so we're excited to highlight them at the summer promenade and they can connect with people and share a little bit more about their business or their organization. The Gore Park Summer Promenade returns to downtown Hamilton today. It uh, will happen every Thursday between noon and 6 p.m. And we're in discussion with Emily Gilroth, the operations manager of the downtown Hamilton BIA, as you're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Um, uh, the, a big part of this is the, the musical acts, and there are many of them. Uh, talk about some of them, and, and where are these people from? So most of them are local artists, so a lot of them are Hamilton-based or kind of the surrounding cities. Um, And yeah, so we have 30 opportunities for bands this year, which is very exciting. Um, And they're all just really incredible. We, in kind of devising the lineup and the formatting, we tried to keep maybe some of the heavier bands uh, from the four to six, so just a little bit livelier at night, well, from 12 to two. Those are the ones that you can sit and have some lunch or a meeting and listen to the music, things like that. Uh, but really, everyone that we have is an incredibly talented musician. We're very lucky to have all of these musicians come out, want to come to the Summer Promenade. And uh, I think regardless of who you come and see, you'll have a good time. You'll enjoy the music. And if someone really has to, you know, is, is, has a time crunch and they can't really step into a restaurant for lunch or for dinner, food trucks are also going to be there. Yes, exactly. So uh, they are weather dependent, but in the case of, you know, good sunny weather, there'll be a food truck in Gore Park every single day. So today it will be Chef Hot Dog with hot dogs and sausages, things like that. On our website, we do also have the food truck schedule as well. Uh, So you can find that there and kind of see who's going to be in the park each day. But we're very excited to have food trucks. And then also, you know, explore some of the restaurants if you have a chance as well, because there's a lot of hard work that goes into those as well. And especially with the patios setting up during the summer, there's going to be a nice ambiance down here. Well, the weather will participate today. It's going to be sunny with a high of 16. It should be a lovely day for the Gore Park Summer Promenade. Opening day today goes from noon until 6 and runs every Thursday until August 31st. Emily, appreciate the time today. Good luck with us. 
Thank you so much for having me. Emily Gilruth is the operations manager at the downtown Hamilton BIA. All the details, all the schedules, the food truck schedules, the activations, the artists, downtownhamilton.org is the website. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.